Father, we are so grateful for the amazing God that you are. And Lord, as we hear the accounts of how you have intervened in the lives of our brothers and sisters, Lord, our hearts leap as well, Father. And uh, we're hungry this morning for you. We're hungry for your presence this morning, Lord. And so we submit ourselves to you this morning and we are ready to hear your word. And we are just excited to see what you will do because you are the God who does in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. I really felt um, this week that God was wanting to draw us to be a people of his presence in a new and profound way. And as I've been spending time with people during the week and just hearing from what's going on, I'm just hearing inspiration spring from people to reach out into the community to impact the world for the kingdom of God. And it's coming from a place of encounter with God. And I sense that as we get into the, into the Lord's presence, that God is going to do something within us. And the result of that is a pouring out. And so I'm just going to share a, a few scriptures here and um, talk briefly about being in the people of his presence. All right, I'm going to read this to you then. So we've got a passage here that uh, is from when God interacted with Moses in Exodus 33. I'm just going to read it with you. You can follow along if you want. Exodus 33, and starting in verse 12, we're going to read through verse 20, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Moses' journey with God. Here we go. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and, I have found, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's funny how those two go together, isn't it? Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and, that you're, uh, and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now we got that out the way, then show me your glory. Now show me your glory, he said. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. It's an amazing passage here we have at this point in Moses' life. But Moses had been on an amazing journey to get from where he began to get to this point. And we read this in isolation, and sometimes we forget what had happened for Moses to get to this point. 
But we remember that this came at a point where Moses was on the cusp of being able to actually break through and enter into the promised land. And he had been journeying and traveling for some 40 years. And he had gone through years and years of labor, years of strain, of struggle, of triumph and then disappointment, of triumph and then more disappointments. And then, after years and years of something which should take a matter of days, he gets to this point and he has this encounter with the Lord. And I believe as he was talking with God at this point, he came to a place of desperation where he said to the Lord, he was at the end of all this, with everything that's happened, with all the struggle and the strain of the journey, I must have your presence with me. Because without your presence, there's no meaning to this. Without your presence, nothing will happen. Without your presence, we have nothing. So Lord, please go with us. And you know what? Will you just show me your glory again? And then Lord in his faithfulness instructed him. And told him to go and place himself somewhere where the Lord then revealed his glory to him. And I believe that for many of us, we too are in a place where there have been struggles and there have been triumphs, there have been disappointments and there's been forward motion. And like Moses, the way that we will move forward is by being a people of his presence before anything else. It's really interesting when you look at the Hebrew words here. When you look at the phrase, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And so God introduces this principle right here that when we are in his presence, rest is a byproduct of that. Now, it's interesting. The word for rest here is a Hebrew word, nuach, and it's used many, many times, and it has many different um, applications. But the key element that it comes from is the concept of respiring. So I'm going to go back to old English with you now. How, when is the last time you used the word respire in a sentence? Anyone used it in the last year? I don't think there's a single hand raised here. So everyone has? Never. Respire. It's such a good word, don't you think? Um, to respire means this. It means to draw in a breath and to breathe. And I know we have PAs and doctors among us, but Something happens within the body when we draw in a breath that it brings peace, it slows the heart rate, it changes the brain function, and it puts us into a, into a different sense. Those people who have struggled with anxiety, they're uh, often prescribed breathing exercises because when you forcibly inhale and breathe, it actually brings physiologically a state of peace to you. 
And so what God is saying here is that my, in my presence, I am going to provide for you a divine breath, a divine refreshing, and a divine empowerment. The amazing thing about this word here is that same word is used in Genesis 2 and verse 15 when God gives mankind, Adam, the very first commission. In Genesis 2.15, God says, the Lord, took, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work at it and take care of it. So we had a commission, and it's like the Genesis mandate. This is the beginning of it, where God creates man to be placed in an environment where he can have dominion and he can exercise all the characteristics of God. And so then God places man there. This, this is the craziest thing. The same word nuach that is used in Exodus 33 for rest is the word that is translated put him in the garden. So what God is saying here is that when he took mankind, having given him a commission, that he was put in a place where the breath of God, the empowerment from the Spirit of God, filled him and enabled him to fulfill the commission. And without being within the presence of God, that natural portrayal of the characteristics of God will not come because they're hand in hand. And so the key from the, for Adam was that when he was in the presence of God and he, he carried that empowerment of God. And I believe for us that God wants us to find that place that we find empowerment through his presence. That as we are in his presence, it's almost like that breath, the very first breath, when God leaned over and he took Adam on the lips and he breathed into him and life came. That is the life that empowers us to do what God has called us to do. Amen. Moses began by encountering the presence of God. How many of us know here that it's sometimes difficult to continue in the way that you began. Anybody? <laughs> I see a few very firm, hand, firm arms lifted up there. I remember one time when I was a teenager and my dad asked me to go and play tennis with him. And I liked the game of tennis. I thought I was pretty good at it. And my dad loved tennis. Um, I've shared a little bit about him and his crazy family, but they were all very athletic. Um, and my dad was pretty good at tennis. Now, his mother was even better at tennis than him. In fact, she played at Wimbledon as a young woman. She was a really um, kind of radical, cutting-edge type of person. She actually was the very first woman who wore trousers, you would say pants, um, at Wimbledon, which back in the 1920s, that was just absolutely unheard of. It was a no-no. But she was a real kind of um, trendsetter. She broke the mold. And that's the kind of legacy that my, my dad and his family came from. So anyway, my dad asked me um, if I wanted to go and play tennis with him at one point when I was 18 years old. So I went off 
We got to the court, we kind of got ready. I was thinking mentally through how I was going to play. Um, my dad is very competitive, and by nature, my family are competitive people. And I thought I had the upper hand on my dad. Now, let me just share a couple of little facts with you. My father didn't get married until he was 36, and he didn't have me until he was almost 39. So at age 18, my father is 57 years old. So I'm playing as an 18-year-old against a man who's almost 60. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this, I got this. <laughs> and so we start playing. It's an unusually hot day for England. And um, we start out, and then my, I'm, I'm serving with the sun behind me, which is an advantage to me. And so I take the first game, and I've thought through how I'm going to play. I'm very clear about what I need to do. I know I need to play to my father's weakness. He is old, and so as old people know, their knees, you know, he doesn't move around as quickly. He's got a couple of bad knees, so I need to try and take advantage of this and keep him moving. Keep that man moving. No, it's not terrible. This is what you do in competition. What's wrong with you? <laughs> this is how you should play. Um, and so I do well, and I take the first set. We then switch sides. Now, it's getting hotter and hotter. Now the sun is in my eyes, and I'm struggling. Now, one thing my dad is good at is his serve. It's very good. It's very powerful. You don't really have to run around to serve. And so I begin to drop points, and things get, uh, get going, and I start to get behind. Now, as you know, when things don't turn out the way you hope them to and the way you expect them to, the natural tendency in the flesh, I'm sure you don't really get trouble with this at all, is that you get frustrated and angry. <laughs> so after winning the first set, I lose the second set. And then my dad begins to kind of rally. And he starts to do better. And so me as this teenage boy, I'm, I'm trying to get forceful. And I begin to get frustrated and angry. And the game progresses. He wins another set over me. I'm just about to win the next one. Then I lose it in the end. And then we keep going. And I'm getting to the point where I'm getting beaten by my almost 60-year-old dad. And I've elevated to a place where I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm trying to rationalize how this could even happen this way. There's not much left in the game. I'm about to lose the match. The sun is in my eyes. I've got sweat in my eyes. I'm running around way more than my dad is. <laughs> my knees are hurting worse than his now. And the whole time he's calm and collected, just doing what he does, and he's about to beat me. And I stopped at that moment, and I looked up at the sun as I was about to serve, and I said to myself, what went wrong here? And then I realized... Like the memes say, the phrase came to my mind, you're not doing it right. <laughs> and I realized everything that I had begun doing and I should have kept doing, in the face of challenge, heat, frustration, and anger, I had stopped doing all those same things. Now I'm aggressively trying to hit the ball too hard. I'm losing my precision. Because I'm frustrated, my strategy is gone. I'm not playing the way that I should have to beat my dad. I'm thrashing at the ball. I'm not hitting it right. I'm running around too fast. I'm not thinking about the game. 
and I'm about to lose. Why? Because I am not continuing the way that I started. I'm not going to tell you how it ended. <laughs> I think you all know. I realized too late. <laughs> but that fate doesn't have to be yours. <laughs> because I didn't continue in the way I started. For Moses, his commission and his journey started with an encounter. Do you remember what it was? There he was. He left the place for where he grew up and that he should have been. And then he's walking along and he sees the burning bush. And the burning bush is where God first revealed himself to Moses. But what was it that caused Moses to find the presence of God in that first place? There's a single line in there which says, as Moses was walking by, he saw that there was a burning bush, and then he turned aside. It was a hunger and a desire to pursue something that first got Moses caught up into the presence of God. And because he responded out of desire and hunger, he then found the presence of God. Now, in the beginning, he turned his face away from God out of fear, it says. It's interesting that 40 years on, that God covered his face out of friendship. But Moses' starting point was a place of desire to find God and to find his presence. And I believe that the primary characteristic for encountering the presence of God is desire for God. I don't really have points as such. This is not something to respond to because being in a relationship and being of people of the presence first starts with a desire. And I believe what happened with Moses at this point here is that he remembered to himself when he was at this critical place and it seemed like everything was going wrong and he went and took himself off and he spent some time with God and I believe his mind probably recalled the time when he first encountered God. When he had no idea how things were going to turn out, he had no idea what the journey was going to look like, but he sensed God was there and then he chose to turn aside and get in the presence of God. And so remembering that, he then made a decision and he said to God, you know what, Lord? I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how we're going to get in there. But one thing I do know, I've got to have your presence. I've got to have you with me. And if you're not with me, and if you're not going, and if I'm not with you, then I'm, I'm not going to go. There's no point. And then from that desire, God is like, yes. And Moses is, will you show me your glory again? And God said, yes, I will. No longer is Moses afraid of God and his presence. He is wanting to see God. And God says, you know what? This time I will cover you because you remember you can't see my face. Because you are my friend. You know, we portray that which we pursue. 
So when we pursue his presence, we will portray his presence. When Moses came down from the mountain, despite the fact that he couldn't see the face of God, his face was shining so intently they had to put a veil on it. People couldn't deal with him. He, it was the presence of God and the holiness was so, was so spectacular that he portrayed that which he pursued. And I believe that as we pursue the presence of God, that we are going to portray that presence in unusual and powerful ways to all those around us. I'm not saying that your face will shine. Maybe it will. I hope it does. That would be amazing. But what I can tell you this is that when people are in the presence of God, they portray and they bleed out that presence. I spent four hours yesterday with Sean Moore, brother of Roger Moore, for those of you who don't know, who is James Bond, for those of you who don't know who Roger Moore is. <laughs> and uh, if you haven't got to know Sean, he's an amazing man, and I would encourage you to spend time with him. But as we were working on some stuff in my house, and Sean is just talking, and the well that is within him is that of someone who has pursued God. And I'm just listening, and we're talking together, and I'm, and I'm encountering God because I'm with a man who has encountered God. And so he is portraying in my home and my family the nature of God. Why? Because he's pursued God. And as we pursue God, we will portray his presence. I think what I believe that God wants to, what God wants to do is that there's, and a quickening of hunger and desire to seek his presence in a way that we haven't before. That God is eager to show his glory to us and he will respond to our seeking. The passage in Jeremiah 29 in the New Living Translation, it says this, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. The other older translations say, You will find me, <clears throat> you will look for me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I just want this morning for us to be stirred within our hearts that that desire to be a people of the presence of God would be enlarged. And I'm going to pray, and if you would just stand with me now, and um, I want to pray and just release that over us all. If anyone would like to receive prayer, then I want to invite you up here too. But I think there's a couple of areas of response for us. I think for some of us here, it may be that we like Moses, and me like my tennis match, we realize that we are not continuing in the way that we began. And if that's you, the Lord this morning is saying, hey, recognize where you're at and go back to that which you did in the beginning. And you will see my glory and you will find my presence. We've heard a whole bunch of testimonies this morning of how God has intervened in the lives of people. And God wants to intervene in the lives of every person that is in his kingdom. 
And I believe that he's going to encounter us this morning. He's going to encounter you and me with his presence. And so let's just take a minute here. If you, in an attitude of worship, raise your hands. I'm just going to pray. And then I would like us to, to sing and worship together in just response. And say to the Lord, Lord, I want your presence more than anything else. Father, that if you are not with me, then I have nothing. There's no point. And I want to see your glory like I haven't seen your glory before. And Father, I need your empowerment. I need your breath. That your presence comes before the commission. Without your presence, I have nothing to give. And Lord, I want your presence this morning. I want that breath inside me. I want your divine empowerment. I want the Holy Spirit. Father, we want your presence more than anything else this morning. So Holy Spirit, I say this morning, come. Lord, visit us this morning. Let us know your presence like never before, Father. 